This is Pastor Ryan Clark from St. John's Lutheran Church in Buffalo, Minnesota. You are listening to the audio of the current sermon series, Thy Kingdom Come. Thanks for joining us. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, believe it or not, this is the final installment of our sermon series, Thy Kingdom Come, where we've been learning how to live under Jesus Christ, our King. We're living under him not just when we get to heaven, but every day in our actions, in our words, we are seeking to follow after him. Just before we get into the last installment here today, we're going to go through kind of where we've been over the last almost three months. Number one, we enter the kingdom of God through repentance and faith in Jesus. We get off the throne and let Jesus be the king and savior of our lives. So Jesus Christ is the only one that deserves to be sitting on the throne. But what sin is, is when we decide that I want to sit on the throne. I want to call the shots. I want to do what I want to do. But living under Christ as our king is when we repent, we get off of that throne, and then we let him be on the throne of our lives. The second week, we looked at Jesus' rules overall, but we say to Jesus, thy kingdom come in our lives as well. As we say that in the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, we're saying, Lord, may your kingdom, which is coming, may it come through me as well in my life. In week three, we said as those in Christ's kingdom, we have a great inheritance that we don't have to wait until we get to heaven to enjoy. We can enjoy all of that right now. Number four, in Christ's kingdom, there are weeds and wheat. There are those that are going to be in the kingdom and those that aren't, but we are to share the good news and love of Jesus with all because only he knows who is who. In week five, in the kingdom of God, what we sow, this is the kingdom principle, what we sow always will grow. Whether that be we're sowing to the flesh or if we're sowing to the spirit of God, whatever we sow is going to grow. In week six, we looked at we are to be like little children in the kingdom of God. And what are little children like? Well, they love their parents. They, we love our heavenly father. We believe what he says, and we put our trust in him. In week seven, in the kingdom of God, we are not to keep score of other people's sins. We are to forgive each other just like we are forgiven. This is something we do in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, we recognize that Jesus is that treasure that deep down in our hearts we're looking for. And so we give him our hearts and give him our lives. In week nine, in the kingdom of God, we rejoice in the stories God is writing in our lives and in the lives of those around us. Your story may look different than the person next to you, but each story that God is writing in each person's life is a special story and it has a part in the kingdom of God. In week 10, in the kingdom of God, it doesn't matter how you start because a number of us started really badly. It only matters how we finish our race of life. 
And finally, last week, Pastor Ryan led us in this. We are to enjoy the wedding feast of the Lamb, wearing those wedding clothes, that robe of righteousness that Jesus Christ has won for us, and enjoy all the blessings of a relationship with God through his Son, Jesus Christ. We've covered a lot over the last almost three months. And like I said, now that leads us to the last installment that we're going to talk about here today. 25 years ago, I married my beautiful wife, Catherine, and for our honeymoon, we went down to Antigua in the British West Indies. And we had such a fun time over that week at an all-inclusive resort we decided right then and there that we were going to put away 20 or $25 every month so that at the end of every five years, on our five-year anniversary, 10, 15, 20, and so forth, that we would go to some exotic place in an all-inclusive resort and just enjoy that. And by the way, I strongly recommend it to all the couples. It doesn't take much each month to save up every five years. So we decided in about four and a half years into our marriage that it was time now to purchase our tickets. And we thought, you know what? We're not, we don't want to go back to Antigua, although we had such a great time. Let's find another island to go to. And so we decided on the Dominican Republic. So we bought our tickets, but our lives had gotten a little more complicated than they had five years before that. Now we had two children a three-year-old and a one-year-old. And so taking care of the two of them, taking care of everything we needed in our jobs to be gone for that week, and then making sure that the kids had everything that they needed to stay with grandpa and grandma for a week. With all of that going on in our heads, we didn't think it all the way through where we were going. Like I said, on our honeymoon, we went to the British West Indies where everyone spoke English. We got off the plane in the Dominican Republic and all of these people came up into our faces speaking in Spanish. And my wife and I looked at one another and I said to her, how much Spanish do you know? And she said, how much do you know? And between the two of us, I think we came up with five words. Hola, gracias, de nada and a couple of others, including Jesus. We were drastically unprepared for going to the Dominican Republic, and it was only by the grace of God that we found our way from one side of the island to the other to our resort. As we look at this last passage in our sermon series from Matthew chapter 25, God doesn't want us to be unprepared for something that is far more important than a week in the Dominican Republic. He wants us to be prepared for his coming. It starts out in the beginning of Matthew 25. At that time, the kingdom of heaven, which is what we've been looking at, all those kingdom passages over the last three months, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now, this is another parable that Jesus is sharing. And remember, as we've said so often, those parables, 
use earthly examples to teach a heavenly or a spiritual truth. Now, anybody during that time, 2,000 years ago, when Jesus was speaking this for the first time, would understand when he started out this parable this way, that he was talking about a Jewish wedding from the first century. Now, Jewish weddings, as Pastor Ryan talked a little bit about last week, were very different than our weddings here today. First of all, after the legally binding engagement, the groom would begin preparing an addition onto his father's house for his bride and him to live in. A day was set for the wedding. So there would be an engagement between the man and the woman, and they would set a date, usually about a year down the road, for the wedding. And during that time, the groom's job was to prepare a place. It was to add an addition onto his father's house for him and his wife to live. That's right, ladies. You would go and live with your in-laws. The day was set for the wedding. And on the day of the wedding, the groom would come with a procession to sweep the bride away to the wedding. Very romantic. He would come at any time during the day or night of the set date for the wedding. So everyone knew the date of the wedding, but no one knew when the bridegroom was going to come to get his bride. And oftentimes, just to be romantic, he would come in the middle of the night to get her. When the procession approached the bride's house, the procession would blow the shofar and shout, the bridegroom is coming, the bridegroom is coming. The bride's attendants would come out with lighted lamps to also escort the bride to the wedding. This is a, what a shofar looked like or what we would call a trumpet. And so they would process down the street, blowing their trumpets, yelling, the bridegroom is coming, the bridegroom is coming. And it was a great honor back then to be a bridesmaid or an attendant to the bride. And because they knew that probably the bridegroom was coming at night, they had to have their lamps and they had to have oil in their lamps. And so they would light their lamps and they would process all the way back to the father's house where they would live and where the festivities of the wedding would take place. All together, they would go to the groom's father's house and then the five to seven day joyful festivities would begin. This is what an ancient Jewish wedding looked like. Now with that in mind, hear these words that Jesus is using. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins or 10 bridesmaids who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in their jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. And so in this story that Jesus is sharing, he's talking about the 10 bridesmaids who had that job of lighting their lamps 
and processing back when it was time for the bridegroom to sweep his bride off of his feet. Five of them had oil in their lamps and five didn't. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. And so the five, the five bridesmaids that had oil in their lamps processed all the way back to the father's house. They entered into the father's house, and the door was shut behind them. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, and these terrible words, I don't know you. And so those bridesmaids that were not prepared, did not have oil in their lamps, were left outside of the wedding feast. And then Jesus finishes this section by saying, therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour of his second coming. So what does this all mean? Well, let's go back to those four understandings of what this is all about. After the legally binding betrothal, the groom would begin preparing an addition onto his father's house, getting ready for that day he was going to come and sweep his bride up into his arms. Does that sound like anything else that you can think of? How about this from John 14? Jesus said, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? You know what this is? This is wedding language. Jesus is saying, I'm going to build in addition onto my father's house in heaven for you, my bride. And when I'm done, I'm going to come back to get you. On the day of the wedding, the groom would come with a procession to sweep the bride away to the wedding. He could come at any time during the day or night of the set date of the wedding. So remember, they knew the date. They knew the, the, the time that he was going to come back. They just didn't know specifically the hour or the minute. And the Bible tells us the same thing about when Jesus returns. We're going to know the general time, but we're not going to know the day or the hour. In Matthew 24, Jesus says, now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things, you know that it's near, right at the door. Proceeding, verse 32 and 33 here, are all of these signs that Jesus said are going to happen right before he comes again. We're not going to get into them here today, but as you look at all of those signs, it is becoming very, very obvious that Jesus Christ is coming very soon. 
we, have, we are either about ready to enter into the season when he comes again, or we're already there. We know the season in which we live. But then Jesus goes on to say, but about that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour that you do not expect him. As we were looking in our readings here today, there is going to be a dramatic difference between those who are ready and those who aren't. We definitely want to be ready. When the procession approached the bride's house, they would blow the shofar, blow the trumpet, and shout, the bridegroom is coming. The bride's attendants would come out with lighted lamps to also escort the bride to the wedding. This idea of a shofar, or in English, a trumpet, is all over the New Testament when it comes to Jesus coming again. In 1 Corinthians 15, it says, Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, or shofar. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. In 1 Thessalonians 4, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. And finally, in Revelation 11, the seventh angel sounded his trumpet, his shofar, and there were loud voices in heaven which said, the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of the Lord and his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. On that day, very soon, when Jesus Christ comes again, there is going to be a blast from a shofar trumpet horn that everyone in the world is going to hear. I imagine it's going to be deafening. And on that day, there will be that separation between the sheep and the goats. Altogether, they would go to the groom's father's house and then the five to seven day joyful festivities would begin. Or in this case, eternity with Jesus Christ, would begin. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back, Jesus said, and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. God wants us to be prepared for that day. And it's coming very, very soon. In the church year, this is the last week of the church year. Next week, next week we move into Advent, which is the beginning of the next church year. And so every, all around the world, every year on this date, 
we talk about the end of all things and getting ready for Jesus' second coming. So the question is, how can we know that we're prepared for that day? Well, it all comes down to, do we have oil in our lamps? The foolish ones that were unprepared did not. But the wise ones had oil in their lamps. So what does that oil represent? In 1 Samuel chapter 16, it says, So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. We see all over in the Bible that oil oftentimes represents the Holy Spirit of God. And so when Samuel anointed David with oil, the Holy Spirit came upon him. And then in James chapter 5, it says, Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. Next Saturday, we have a healing service at 5 o'clock. And we're going to anoint each person that comes forward with oil. Why? Because we're saying, God, may that same Holy Spirit that all throughout the Bible brought healing to all of these people, may he come upon this person as we anoint them with oil that they might be healed as well. What does that oil represent? It represents the Holy Spirit. Now, how do you know that you have the Holy Spirit? How do you know that you have oil in your lamps? It says in Acts chapter 2, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you've been baptized, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you. You have oil in your lamps. In fact, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you can't even believe in Jesus Christ and call him your Lord and Savior unless you have the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit's job, his first job, is to help bring us to faith in Jesus Christ. But then after that, he wants to guide our whole lives. And we see that in Galatians chapter 5. It says, since we live by the Spirit, since we've got our new life through the Holy Spirit of God, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Now, what does that look like? That's recognizing this, that the Holy Spirit's job was not just to bring me to faith, but now that I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior who died on that cross and took away all my sins. But now the Holy Spirit wants to guide me through my life. He wants me to willingly stay in step with him so that he can accomplish all of those things that he put me here on this earth to accomplish. And so day by day, God's will for you and for me is to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. 
That means each morning saying, Lord, thank you that your mercies are new every morning. Thank you, Jesus, that you've washed me clean of all my sins, and I have a fresh new start to serve you. And now I give you my life today. I've got all these things that I want to do on my agenda, but I lay that all down. What do you want to do with me today? And as we do that day after day after day, that's oil in our lamps. That's the Holy Spirit working with us in a partnership, accomplishing those things that he wants us to do. Sometimes the Holy Spirit is going to say, don't do that. And keeping in step with him is repenting and saying, okay, I'm not going to do that anymore. And sometimes he's going to say, do this. Go have this conversation with this person. Help this person. Give to this situation. And as you just seek to follow him, that is oil in your lamps. Now you're going to mess up. So am I. In fact, there's not a day that goes by that I don't mess up. And when that happens, I go back to Acts chapter 2. Because of what Jesus did, and because I am baptized into Jesus, my sins are washed away. All the pressure is off. And I say, Lord, I'm sorry I messed up. Forgive me. I give my life to you again. This is what a Christian life looks like every day. One day after the next, you wake up and you say, oh, I've got another day here, I guess. Lord, what do you want me to do today? And we live in partnership with the Holy Spirit. That's what it is to have oil in our lamps. As we finish the sermon series, Thy Kingdom Come, living, learning to live under Jesus Christ, our King. My prayer for all of us is this that we would have oil in our lamps. Jesus lit that flame when you were baptized, and there's oil in there. You believe in Jesus Christ, and now he wants to have a partnership with you all the days of your life until the day that the bridegroom comes to sweep us off our feet and bring us home to that place that he's prepared. May it be for each one of us in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from St. John's Lutheran Church in Buffalo, Minnesota. If you would like more information about St. John's and any of our ministries to our community and beyond, you can go to our website, www.stjohnsbuffalo.org. Thank you and God bless you.